Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. All right, is uh, let's see. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Is it uh, Anae or Annie? Let me get that right. Uh, good morning. Hey, Bob. Green. Oh, yeah. Good morning. How are you doing, Anna? I'm doing well, and I'm happy to tell you we got some black cows at the neighbor's yard right next door. <laughs> <laughs> as long as they're not eating uh, pickleram treated hay, you've got a, a good source of material there. Yeah, fortunately, he does not treat. So that's I'm good. That's good. Um, we we've got some uh, several acres of adjoining fence line, and we can't get our mower underneath. And my husband was asking about, well, can we put Roundup on that? And I said, no, let's see if we can do that diesel and molasses thing. What What are you trying to kill, Anna? We've got this uh, invasive honeysuckle. Mm-hmm. Stuff. It's like hackberry out in Texas. Right. And there's poison ivy, and there's just a lot of, you know, taller weeds and grasses and stuff, and it interferes with our our uh, hot wire. Sure, sure. I know know how that goes, and <laughs> my line trimmer gets a workout uh, taking care of that. You know, anything that is tender, the grasses and annual forbs and things like that, all you need is that uh, vinegar and orange oil, gallon of vinegar, two ounces of orange oil, and that will knock it down as effectively as Roundup and um, a whole lot more quickly. On the woodier stuff, the honeysuckle and things like that, yeah, it's not organic, but it sure beats Roundup. Or Actually, Roundup's not going to do much against the woody stuff like uh, honeysuckle anyway, which is going to tempt some people to go with an even stronger herbicide that tends to move through the soil and kill trees and things some distance away. So, yeah, where you've got woody stuff, I'm going to go with that diesel malaria. Molasses mix, diesel kills, molasses cleans up the residue in the soil. But I probably would start out just uh, get strongest vinegar you can find and add two ounces of orange oil and just a little squirt of dish soap per gallon. Uh, one gallon goes a long way. You're not uh, you're not trying to soak the soil. All you're doing is coating the green foliage, and that's what I would start with. I would see what that will knock back and get rid of um and and then go back and follow up on the woodier stuff anywhere you have to but i think you're going to be surprised it's what a good job and the thing about using the vinegar and orange oil i mean you start seeing results on a sunny day uh you'll see results uh five minutes after you spray when i'm spraying in my garden walking down my rows are probably Oh, somewhere between 30 and 40 feet long. And if I'm walking down that row spraying, and what I'll do is I'll carry a piece of cardboard that I can just hold up against tomato plants or beans or whatever that I don't want any of the spray to drift onto. I'll just hold that up against it and then spray in front of it. And by the time I get to the end of the row, I look back at the beginning of the row and the weeds are already starting to shrivel. So that's where I would start. Okay. But uh, if when we get to the that real tough stuff, there's also some of that... Uh stuff that kills that horses is it's poisonous to horses i don't remember what it is at the moment um 
but we're I don't remember how you use that diesel in molasses. Uh, you just uh, you just soak the base of the plant with it. Uh, again, what we use it for in our area mainly is killing you know tough woody things like uh, we satch and um, uh, we satch and mesquite and things like that. Um, if I'm not sure what you're fighting that the horses have a problem with, uh, the main thing we fight is whorehound. And again, just a little bit of that on the base, or actually I walk along with a grubbing hoe and I just, you know, one swipe and the whorehounds cut off at ground level and it does not tend to re-sprout. So, um, you might be looking at something different, but, uh, what you're doing is just where the, whatever the plant is, where it comes up out of the ground. If you'll soak that immediate section of the root system with the diesel molasses mix, uh, that will kill it quickly and completely. And, uh, uh, you know, like I say, the, the molasses tends to clean things up. So you're not leaving anything toxic behind. Uh, it, it doesn't work instantly, but uh, it's stimulates stimulates the soil microbes to uh, where they will knock it out what's your mixture though of the diesel 50 50 50 yeah roughly i mean i don't always measure it's about uh just visually about 50 50 and that that works very well for me on the woody stuff that i'm using on the uh uh Poison ivy, things like that. I begin by cutting it off at ground level, and then it resprouts a couple of times. I hit that with the vinegar orange oil mix, and after a couple of times, it stops coming back. Okay, yeah, because we've got some some of the fence line that we have is metal, mm-hmm. and it goes all the way down to the ground. So you know, I can't really use a grubbing hoe or anything. It'd be all by hand work, and sure. several acres of of torture uh, or exercise. Uh, the first acre is exercise; the second acre is torture. Okay, we'll give we'll give both of those a whirl because I've done the de- the vinegar and orange oil and that does work fairly well, but I haven't done it on the fence line because of the metal sure the metal wire. Well, and you know this time of year when those weeds are young and tender, I think it's going to work uh, very very well. It's not going to cause any problem with your wire, and it's not going to be good for the weeds. So it's a win win situation. I'll try it. Uh, one other thing, though, since I don't have access to diane bain's wonderful seminars <laughs> have, have you heard her talk at all about the roundup getting into well water oh it's it's pervasive uh um I, i've you know we it, with my job on the groundwater district we're very concerned about this nobody seems to be concerned about it in here at the TCEQ level, because they don't know what they'll do about it, so they just pretend it doesn't exist. I know USGS is uh, starting to look at that on a national basis, not just Roundup, but various pharmaceuticals and all sorts of other things that uh, are potentially contaminating groundwater. And USGS is, uh, I think right now, is leading the way on looking at groundwater contamination from other things and of course the potential to get into groundwater depends entirely on the geology of the area you know that you are in here in texas we have uh at least in our part of texas we have karst aquifers and many places we have sinkholes where things go from the surface to the aquifer very very quickly which is has high pollution potential fortunately we don't have the acres and acres and acres of crops that are likely to be roundup sprayed but it is very definitely a 
a concern, and it's the reason that many of the Icelandic countries banned Roundup because of this lie that Monsanto told about, oh, it breaks down quickly, there's no problem at all. We get in those colder climates, and they were having very serious groundwater contamination, and they did what you know a thinking country would do, and that is ban the use of it. So we just money talks too loudly in this country, and there are too many there's too much money going from Monsanto into some uh, congressional uh, coffers, so to speak. So uh, don't see much potential for that happening, but it, it's very definitely a concern. Okay, yeah, because we've got some farmland on two sides of our mm-hmm. acreage. I, I run my well water through a Berkey filtration system because uh, it indicates that it does eliminate the glyphosate but maybe not all the other little components to it i don't well know. it's you know it's expensive to test but uh um you might be able to call usgs just tell them you got a concern and see if they'll pick up the cost on doing it for you oh yeah maybe i will okay very good all righty thank you for the advice and uh hopefully i won't have to call back on that uh, fence line well you know i'm always happy to hear from you if you do Thanks, Anna. We'll talk again. Uh, Kent's turn. Then it'll be Bill and Barron. Good morning, Kent. Well, Clint. Okay, good morning. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, she just got, got a good question brought up. Well, what about spraying that fence line for the grasses just with straight diesel on, on the fence line on, on the grasses? Will that kill everything out? It'll kill everything out, but diesel has some fairly nasty components in it, and that's why we like to follow up with the molasses because the molasses stimulates the microbes, which tend to break down and denature um, some of the the things that uh, we don't want left behind in the soil. And so that's why I don't, uh, you know, if you read a lot of these really bad herbicides out there, uh, they're telling you to mix diesel with them because that does as much killing as sometimes their toxic herbicides do. But I'm always going to combine it with something that's going to, you know, break down uh, that material. The biggest problem with some of the herbicides is they don't break down. Picloram, there's nothing in nature known to break it down, which is a problem with what they call the SU, sulfonated ureal herbicides. And uh, But most of the other things, nasty as they can be, we can work on breaking them down, and that's that's why I always recommend the diesel along with the molasses. I mean the molasses along with the I diesel. Was, I always came back. I always just did the diesel first, and then come back later with the molasses because that stuff does not mix very well and stuff. Oh, no, it doesn't mix at all. You have to shake it up. No, if, if you will be conscientious about going back and following up with that, and for that matter, if it's easier for you, you can always go back with dry molasses. But you're accomplishing the same thing. And uh, so, yeah, nothing at all wrong with that. Just if you're like I am, you get busy and don't always get around to all the things you plan to do. I just, I just, that makes sure that it gets done. Right. Now, um, what, what's your thought on that new Biotrack uh, fertilizer that uh, Morales is selling? I, it looks like real good stuff to me. It is not fortified with as many different things as some of the other fertilizer companies put into it but it is very economically priced it is uh you know organic it is designed to encourage people to use it on larger acreages and uh i think it is a very excellent program i know uh fred morales very well and i don't know anybody in the world who is more concerned about rebuilding our soils and i'm sure he's been working with them to produce it and the the thing about 
some of your, let's just call them a little higher grade fertilizers. I mean, if you look at the label on Medina, for instance, you're going to see that they put in dry humates. They uh, add uh, green sand and one or two other things. For every ingredient they put on the label, it costs them thousands of dollars in testing to demonstrate to the oversight people in the government that those things are indeed in there. But knowing Medina as well as I do, there are several other things that I'm not supposed to talk about because they're not on the label, so I won't mention mycorrhizal fungus and all those other things, but they (laughs) add a lot more things in there that are not necessarily on the label because it just gets too expensive to prove them up. But um, so it's you know it it's the um it, it's a very good fertilizer it's not the premium that uh, you get when you you know pay a little bit more money but uh i think it is an excellent fertilizer it is a natural product i know of no contamination in it i you know i'm i'm all in favor and uh i commend people like fred for working constantly and also in the past some of these uh some of these byproducts so to speak of poultry operation they didn't know what to do with all the the poop so to speak that they generated now they are processing it properly turning it into a high grade fertilizer and man more power to them this is the kind of thing we need to restore our croplands that have been badly damaged by the era of synthetic nitrogen well, the price point sure is uh, you can't beat it. But yep. Now, they're saying that new stuff, it's not pasteurized, so it has a lot of the uh, same stuff as a compost. Yep. Yeah, it it has. When you look there, there are so many thousands, actually tens of thousands of different kinds of microbes, 99.99% of which are either benign or beneficial, there's very little chance of having anything that would ever cause a a problem in there. And so, no, I I think it's a great product. And I, like I say, it's one of the first things that's that's come out that really has been aimed directly at people that could use it in bulk that weren't going to buy it in 40-pound bags. And this is is a very, very good thing that's happening. So I guess I can actually skip the compost tea for the year if I use some of that fertilizer. Well, uh, not necessarily. Um, uh, again, you you probably don't have to, but compost tea definitely brings uh, some different things depending on what your compost is made from. When you're looking at a really high-quality compost, it may have 20 or 30 different uh, substrates, different feedstocks that are put into it, you're going to get a much greater diversity of microbial life than you are from, you know, any single source material. So uh, it just, you know, like I always say, it depends on whether you want to eat hamburger or prime rib. Uh, hamburger is very, very good nutrition. Prime rib is a little tastier and has a little bit more in it. But um, uh, maybe you would cut back on compost tea. But I, you know, I always tell you, you know, look at your crops, look at what you're producing. If it needs something else, add something else. If it doesn't need it, you know, go for it. And, and in your situation, you may not need the compost tea, but if you feel like anything's missing, compost tea is a very low cost, very good way to supplement, uh, uh, your fertilizer products. Oh, good deal. 
And last question, uh, what uh, variety of uh, nectarine tree do you recommend for divine? Just about any of them. Uh, Nectarines are not, they don't require a given number of chill hours. So, um, uh, you know, the Miho, the Sito, the Kimbro, uh, Awari, Orange Frost, any of those will do very well. Miho and Sito are still my two favorites because they're very tasty, very low seed. Mito or Sito? Yeah, Miho, M-I-J-O and S-E-T-O. Or, or maybe it's M-I-H-O. Yeah, it's M-I-H-O and S-E-T-O are the top two that I'm going to look for, but there are some other good ones out there. Now, do they need a pollinator? Or are they self-pollinating? They're self-pollinating. Self-pollinating. Yeah. Good deal. Okay, are, those, are they a grafted tree? Yes. Yes, they are going to be grafted. Uh, the only tree that I know of that may be grown from seed are going to be some of the Mexican limes. Beyond that, pretty much everything you're looking at is going to be grafted onto uh, uh, most likely sour orange rootstock. If you're trying to uh, to decrease the size a bit, it may be grafted onto something called flying dragon. But uh, virtually all the citrus produce is going to be grafted. Good deal. All right, well, I appreciate you, Bob. Always good to talk to you. You have a great weekend, and let me get A.J. in here. Good morning, A.J. How are you doing, Bob? You know, the day is off to a good start. What can I say? <laughs> Still dark well, out there, so I can't tell how the world looks, but uh, other than it uh, looked like a really bad wreck on the way in, it looked to me like uh, it's got the potentials for a great day for most of us. That's good. That's good. Hey, uh, for... I want to plant some coleus plants in some pots. Okay. And then put, uh, how, what size pot would I use to plant them in? I, plant individ, individual plants. Okay, in and, and so you're going to keep them on porch or patio. They're going to be in a pot for decoration, right? You're not planning ultimately to put them in the ground. I plan on putting them in the ground. I've got a lot of live oak trees, and I'm mm-hmm. just going to plant them under that. What of how many from when to when should they not get any sun on them? Well, there are some varieties of coleus, some of the dark leaf forms. Alabama is the one that's grown most commonly that will take absolutely full sun. All of the all the coleus I know are fine with morning sun. It's just that blistering afternoon sun. But if you're really in love with coleus, uh, Alabama and um, Oh, there are a couple of others that are very similar colors that are sort of that uh, reddish uh, to kind of a tawny color. And they will actually take the sun, most of the really colorful ones. Uh, sun them until noon is no problem. Sun after, say, 7 in the evening is no problem at all. But uh, if I'm going putting them into one size pot and I'm ultimately going to put them in the ground, I'm not going to go any... <clears throat> probably any bigger than six-inch pots because that way I don't have to dig a, just a super big hole. But now if I'm going right. to create a decorative pot on the patio that's uh, just going to be one big mass of coleus, then I'm going to go probably in a 12-inch pot. But if I'm just getting my coleus started, uh, uh, it's going to be, if I'm just taking cuttings, it's going to be into four-inch pots. If I'm wanting to bump something up from a four-inch into a little bit bigger size, I'm going to go to six-inch and no bigger because I don't want to have to deal with the tree roots uh, to to plant any bigger root ball than that. Okay. All righty. Okay. Now, one more item i got to ask you. In uh, 2017, we had a uh, plumeria bush that froze. Okay. And then last spring in 18, 
it put out a lot of, uh, you know, different limbs, so to speak, uh-huh. and it, it never did bloom. Okay. And then it took a, a light freeze this year. We just had one freeze. In fact, I had an angel trumpet that bloomed in March this year. <laughs> Very good. Just to tell you how bad the freeze was. And yep. yesterday I was looking at that plumeria, and it's got a lot of green limbs on it. Some of them are, are dead at the very tips. Mm-hmm. When I cut those dead pieces off, do I cut outside of the green green part of them? Or I cut would. Right at the... I would, just because I don't like making a wound, you know, where you could potentially get some sort of bacteria or something like that bad getting into the plant. Um, I usually wait until that frozen part shrivels and then just break it off. But I'm going to try to avoid cutting back the live tissue if I can. And the best way to know how far is really frozen is to see where it sprouts out. And it's a little bit early for plumeria to be sprouting out now. But when it starts sprouting out, you'll know that everything beyond that point is what has frozen. Now, when they get a severe freeze, it sometimes takes a year for them to come back into bloom. But you probably have some blooms this summer. And by next year, assuming we don't let them freeze next fall, you should be back into full bloom, full production, AJ. All righty. Now, is it better to, to cut off some of those limbs not no, having that not, many limbs? not at all.